Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. Buzz Eisenberg is away. We have a quick announcement for you. If you wish to reach us, want to have a comment, make a comment, have a, well, something you something you wish to share with us uh you can text us during the show or any 20 or anytime 24 7 at 413-586-7140 text only 413-586-7140 today on the show this hour we have academic and literary royalty and we are so pleased uh we have ilan stavans who is a professor at amherst college professor of uh uh, 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 professor, I'm sorry, uh, in the uh, Latin American uh, and Latino, Latino Studies Department. And he has with him and us today as part of the program he is putting on, Point Counterpoint at Amherst College, well, as I said, literary royalty. So, Elon Stavans, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for bringing this very special guest to us the pleasure, the honor of this introduction is yours. Professor. Thank you, Bill. It's a, it's a, it's a delight to be back in the show. As you mentioned, uh, this uh, semester I am hosting a series of public conversations at Amherst College called Point Counterpoint, and the theme is how the English language is the glue that brings our democracy together, uh, how the Democracy changes, and the language changes as well. And the first and terrific guest of five is a New York Times opinion columnist, a linguist and Columbia University professor, John McWhorter, who is the author of a number of very important books in, on how the American English language is transformed by the people who speak it, and he is he will be with me on Friday at 4 p.m. at Stern Auditorium at Amherst College. Is the event is free and open to the public, and he is uh, happily uh, with us in this show as well. Uh, so I am thrilled to be in conversation even before the conversation on Friday. <laughs> John McWhorter, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Elon Stavins, why don't you give us another half a minute, if you would, of what the program will look like, what you and professor and <coughs> journalist and author John McWhorter will be talking about more specifically. Sure. Um, the series of conversations uh, hope to engage uh, students and faculty and the general public in the very sensitive and, I think, urgent uh, ways in which we uh, are defined by the language that we use, the English language, the language that we inherited, and that it is now ours, not only in this country, but worldwide. Uh, among the many speakers is also going to be John Morse, who is the former president and the publisher of Merriam-Webster, the author Dan Brown of The Da Vinci Code, the Ukrainian-American uh, poet in the, in the academic, Ilya Kaminsky, and the novelist, writer, filmmaker, and Zen Buddhist priest, Ruth Oseki, who is also in the Valley. And John McWhorter, whose work I admire enormously and who actually happens to be, uh, we happen to be family, I am thrilled to say, um, is going to be engaged in a discussion of how 
the the language of minority groups uh, of blacks and Latinos um, is, is is crucial for the way we engage in our democratic um, spirit all over the country. Well, the title of the program is Point Counterpoint. So let me turn to John McWhorter, if I might, and thank you again for being with us. Uh, do you think you have fundamental disagreements with Professor Elon Stavans on this, or is this something we're going to discover in the course of your conversation? No, I don't think we have any disagreements. I think our views about these things complement one another. And so what we're going to have is just a dialogue about various aspects of this question of what this language that we are all speaking is and the many forms that it takes, and often why there's nothing curious or broken about that. We kind of have a sense that once you stray from vanilla English, then something odd has gone on, that a discussion needs to be had, that there's a hair out of place, when really the variety and the constant change is as ordinary as clouds moving through the sky. If the clouds don't move, something's wrong. Same thing with language. If it isn't changing and if it doesn't exist in various flavors, then something's not quite right. So that's part of what I think both Elon and I embrace. Well, let me ask you this, because you, you write about this a lot. You've written books about this. You write your columns in the Times about this. I loved your recent column about the word like uh, and how <laughs> how we like to use like, like, like we do that all the time. Like that. Like that. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and it was something I would like to talk about uh, at greater length, but I'm interested in your view of the evolution of language, and in particular, recently, the change in syntax, where a singular is now they, and they are, as opposed to they is. Uh, and mm -hmm. I'm wondering whether or not that is emblematic of something that has happened in terms of the evolution of language over time, or whether this is a sea change that is worthy of particular note. Well, the, the new they, the referential, referential singular they, as in my girlfriend is in the hospital and they are getting a haircut, that sort of thing. That is something that I think to anybody over 50 sounds extremely odd. And it's an example of language change happening, but it would be easy to think, wow, I don't like this language change. It's too hard to process. There's some ambiguities, etc. It feels kind of wrenching, but it's a really useful lesson in language change in that usually it doesn't happen that quickly. It's not usually something that's so above the radar, but if we have trouble with it, it's dazzling listening to 12 and 13 year olds who have no trouble with it at all using the new they. And so our, our pronoun system has undergone this radical change over about the past 10 years. And the simple truth is that those 12-year-olds, and we know how quickly this happens, just go 20 years forward, 30 years forward, they're graying at the temples, and they're having kids of their own. And so we're watching that these things are simply inevitable. But it is interesting, the new day, because it's happened very quickly. Are there other examples of this that you would point to where there, have been a, where there has been a radical change or apparently radical change in the use either of syntax or of specific words that, that really demonstrate a societal change? And then, I, then well, Frank, and, and then I'm really interested, is the chicken or the egg here, but um, as, long as, mm -hmm. doing, as long as I'm using bad metaphors. But anyway, are there other examples of this? Yeah, I mean, not as recently as we might prefer to think of, but you 
the word you. It used to be that singular you was thou, there was nothing archaic about it, and you was only in the plural. Then at a certain point in the middle of the last millennium that started shifting in English and nobody knows exactly why thou wound up on the ropes. That's not what happened in most languages, but it had something to do with how people felt about the respect that you convey by implying that a person is more than one person. So we is the, the royal we with the king. And then referring to someone as you was a kind of mark of respect when you felt plural. And now we don't use thou at all. People didn't like it at the time. There are treatises in the 1600s where people are you know, spittling and fuming about how ridiculous it is that individuals are being referred to as you. They're dead and here we are. The language lived. So now we're going through the same sort of thing. Oh, and it's it would be thou is, but you are was plural. So when you became singular, it retained the plural verb are. That's how we got to you are for the singular. You know, the funny thing about that is that the original impulse was to regularize it. And so even John Adams and Abigail Adams said, you was on my mind yesterday because <laughs> it's singular. But grammar pedants didn't like it because they said you're supposed to use were with you. And that's why we think of it as normal to say, you, my dear, were in my thoughts yesterday. Kind of should be was, but these things are never allowed to happen the way they want to. Well, let's bring uh, Professor Elon Stavins uh, from Amherst College mm -hmm. back into the conversation. Professor, you have a thought on this? Do you care to share? I do, and I want to I engage you, John. I, I will on Friday, but I want to engage you, John, with a thought. Um, it is true, and you have younger kids than I do, that uh, as parents we witness the extraordinary transformation that takes place in the language across generations by uh, being conscious of how we speak and how they speak as well. Um, and yet you put it as if it was a fait accompli. In 20 years, they would be at the helm, and the use of they will be, you know, widespread. I am thinking of the X, of Latin X. You and I have talked a little bit about it in different moments. Mm -hmm. It is used in order to avoid the gender issue that comes from the Romance languages. In particular, it is mostly in spreading in academic environments. Very little of it is used in, on the street, in the kitchens, on the playgrounds. In other words, it seems to me that it's coming from a particular corner of society uh, that wants it to be projected into a, a global, universal um, uh, approach, but there is resistance. And I wonder if the day that is being used right now is de facto going to become in 20 years, or might be that it was an attempt for this particular moment that is very politically uh, motivated, uh, it, but it could succumb across uh, time and uh, be put aside. How, how certain are you, how certain could we be together that a pattern that changes in the present will become a staple in the future? That is a very, very good point. And you can't be certain, and I tend to speak very certainly about they because it's my guess because of what we're seeing younger generations doing but of course it might be that in 20 years we look back on that peculiar time when a certain rarefied set of people were using they in that peculiar way and it never caught on that is definitely a possible science fiction scenario and i'll be interested to see it and i can imagine myself writing about it but mm -hmm. i think i see the difference between latinx and they 
And I can give you a very tidy example. I live in a neighborhood where probably more people speak Spanish natively than English. Spanish is really the lingua franca of Jackson Heights in Queens. And I have certainly never heard anybody say Latinx anywhere here. I, re I hear that when I go to Colombia among Latinos with PhDs. Certainly, it's never going to get beyond that. But I do hear 13 and 17 year old Latinos in this neighborhood who are you know, perfect Spanish English bilinguals referring to they's. I've, I've heard them doing that. And so they're never going to say Latinx, but they're doing they. And so I'm thinking maybe they, the new they is more demotic than Latinx will ever be. But then again, even that's just a guess. I'm living, you know, in my own little world. So yeah, we'll see. You're you're right. It could go either way. Yeah. Well, J J could you stay with that point for another minute, if you would, please, uh, John McWhorter? Uh, I I asked uh, Professor Elon Stavins, whose uh, bio on the Amherst College website says Professor of Latin American and Latino Studies, and I asked him whether or not there was uh, complaints because he didn't say Latinx studies. And I'm wondering whether you see Latinx as being something of a rarefied uh, uh, use of or, or a variation on Latino, Latina, and whether or not the use of Latino, Latina, because the uh, uh, gender-specific sp nature of uh, Romance languages makes Latinx just discordant. Your thoughts? Well, it's uh, Latinx is harmless. It reflects a certain ideology and a certain a certain ideal that a certain educated set seeks. There's nothing wrong with there being a jargon that highly educated people and activists use among themselves. I'm not sure how much most of those people at this point are expecting that Abuela is going to be using Latinx. I think they understand that it's just between them. And honestly, the, the idea of purging the language of the gender binary, I get it. I completely understand why that would be an ideal. I think um, it's not a hill I would want to die on. That's going against something so elemental to the human spirit. We can understand that the lines are blurry between male and female. That's great. But to propose that we don't see the difference at all, that, I think, is going to be seen in 20 years as something that a certain crowd pushed really hard at this point and it only went so far. It gets something into the conversation, but languages are going to mark biological gender. I think that it, there's no way to get past that. English is rather unique to the extent that it doesn't, and I think that's part of why many people are imagining that you can force that on Spanish and French and Hebrew, but that can only go so far. I don't think that that proposal would have had so much strength if it didn't originate among people who are familiar with this strange language called English, which is alone among Indo-European languages in Europe in not marking objects with genders. Only English is like that. With all the other ones, it's just it's just the warp and woof of how you express yourself. I'm not sure you can work against that to the extent that a lot of people are hoping, but I see where they're coming from. We are speaking with John McWhorter, linguist, columnist, professor, author of some 20 books, who will be engaged in conversation with uh, with Elon Stavins, Amherst College professor. When and where again, please, Professor Elon Stavins? This Friday at Stern Auditorium in Amherst College at 4 p.m. And I want to stress once more, it is free and open to the public. Uh, the goal of this conversation is to bring the general public 
to this type of dialogues and not to isolate them in the ivory tower of the academic uh, environments. Really, I hope many of your listeners can come, listen, and ask questions. That is the point. And we will continue this conversation right after this. Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Amherst College professor Elon Stavans. We are talking about point counterpoint and the conversation he will be having with John McWhorter this Friday, four o'clock. Where, professor? At Stern Auditorium, Amherst College, free and open to everybody. So we were talking with. Uh, professor, columnist, author, uh, John McWhorter, about uh, the use of Latinx, the use of they as a singular. And I'm wondering if you had some additional thoughts you'd care to share with us about the conversation that we were just having. Absolutely. Bill, first, I think I, I, I praise the fact that, the, that we were having that conversation. It is important uh, for changes in the language to be spoken about, for us to become conscious of what they are, why they are taking place, and the possible impact that they will have on our lives in the future. Language seems to be something that everybody takes for granted, um, but in the end, it is through that language that we understand the major aspects of our lives. And uh, I want to add one thing to what John was saying, uh, the conversation that he and I were, were having about Latin X on one hand and they singular on the other. Uh, he was saying that in uh, the neighborhood where he lives, he can hear the day among young and not so young, but he doesn't hear the X in Latin X in a predominantly Hispanic environment. And I wanted to add the, the, the thought that it seems to me the Latin X is engineered within the academic circles as a strategy, political, ideological, to project uh, gender neutrality that worthy as it is, being engineered inside the academic environment doesn't necessarily make it more important than what is happening genuinely on the street. Really, language changes on the street. It changes in people by people and for the people that use it all the time. It is not what professors decide that the language should be the way we will end up using it. In fact, very often it is against what professors decide, what they, they establish, the erudite, the, the knowledgeable want language to be, because language is really as democratic as it as any aspect of life can be. If everybody wants to use a particular word, for something that some of us utterly dislike, well, the majority will rule for better or worse, and eventually that word will make it to the dictionary. Latin X is something that is is made by a small group of likely left-leaning people, worthy but limited. I think that they feels to me much more popular and populist, and as a result, it's likely to have a longer impact. I don't know if in 20 years everybody will be using they, as John was saying, but it is certainly worthy of reflection. It is uh, interesting to, to me that the way in which 
Merriam-Webster, and I'm sure you'll have this conversation later in your point-counterpoint series when you have the longtime editor of Merriam-Webster on, on the stage with you, how a word gets into the dictionary and how many times it has to be found in common usage in books or magazines or online and, and when it becomes so prevalent that it is worthy of and it is important to have it included in the dictionary. And as you say, that occurs on the street and it occurs in the written language as well. And I'm wondering Absolutely. if you some what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's an, it's absolutely true, uh, Bill. I, this allows me to tell people that John Morse, who is the former president and publisher of Merriam-Webster, will be with me in conversation at the Point Counterpoint series at Stern Auditorium on March 28, uh, Thursday at 7 p.m., um, this, that is exactly what that dialogue is going to be about. How does a word make it to the dictionary? In, the, it, in, in basically, a word needs to be heard or registered in three different locations that are unrelated to each other, um, w- without any proximity, without any individuals showing up in more than one of them in order to at least be taken into consideration for the dictionary to ponder if it's going to enter or not the, the reservoir of words that we call that lexicon. But the question that I always have and I always pose to dictionary makers is, do dictionaries have an ideology? Is there a politics behind it? Take the, some obscenities. In, for instance, the four-letter word did not actually make it to the dictionary until the late 70s, even though it is one of the most versatile words in the English language, and it has been for centuries. The dictionaries wanted to expurgate the, the, the word because they wanted us to use polite language until they realized that it is time for the dictionaries to describe and reflect how we speak the language and stop a, you know, giving us a lesson on how to do it, be prescriptive. So that is a change in, in the approach of the dictionary, and it is something to reflect on who is sitting in the dictionary offices making those decisions, and to what extent are those decisions really fully uh, open to the various aspects, various ideologies of society, or do they want to inflict and impose a particular vision of how we speak or how at least the dictionary reflects the language that we speak. Meanwhile, this Friday, 4 o'clock at Amherst College, in what hall again, Professor? Stern Auditorium. Which is right in the center of campus. It's easy to get to. Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. You will be in conversation with John McWhorter. Really, it's just such an amazing uh, event. I, I really hope that you who are listening today will do yourself the treat of listening to this spectacular conversation by two of the smartest people I know. That will be 4 o'clock, Amherst College, this Friday. Professor Elon Stavins will be in conversation with John McWhorter, New York Times columnist, literary genius, author, and I think one of the smartest people I've ever read. I look forward to this event so very much. Thank you, Professor Elon Stavins. We'll see you on Friday. My pleasure. Thank you.
This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.